Welcome to the last part of our series called Guardrails. Now I have to tell you, something happened this morning that's never ever happened. And all the time I've been preaching, I've been doing this for 11 years now, I've never had this happen before. In the middle of last uh, service, this sermon, those Congos fell, okay? And, and literally took this microphone out and just like fell. So if you saw me like checking that out during the bumper, that was, uh, that was what I was doing. It is, yeah, you have to just put yourself in my place, okay? All these people could see it was going to happen, right? Man, they saw it just begin to fall. And it was totally random. I mean, nothing caused it. It just fell. But I didn't see it. And, and they, they said I did a good job preaching anyway. But it was really scary. So if I talk faster this morning or I seem like, you know, I'm really excited. Um, yeah, we had Congos fall during the first service. So, uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, it's great to uh, be here together. It's great to proclaim the Word of God. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 1 today. So if you would, uh, turn in your Bibles there, Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be uh, looking at the life of a, a young man named Daniel and, and looking at the guardrails he put um, up in his life. Now, if you haven't been with us and, and maybe you're new this morning, welcome. Uh, we just want to start out by defining what is a guardrail? What are we talking about here? And, and this is how we've defined it for this series. A guardrail is God's standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life. God's standard of behavior, which he gives us all throughout Scripture, that becomes a matter of conviction in a believer's life. And so uh, these, these, these guidelines, these guardrails, these are the rules God gives us for life. And if we're believers, we're to, to, to use those to not only protect us from going off a cliff and ending up in the ditch and rolling our, our life's car seven times, you know, but to actually direct us and put us in the direction that we're supposed to go as we follow God faithfully. We talked about this in lots of different areas. Week one, we talked about um, regrets. That so many of us, uh, the longer we live in this world, it seems like as you get into your 20s and your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, it just seems like, man, you just have some regrets. Man, I wish back when I was 30, I would have done this different. Or man, when I was a young person, when I was 18 years old, I wish I'd have done this different. And, and so we look back and we, and we get to this point where it's like, we really feel like, man, yeah, I, I have some regrets. The question we asked that first week was, are regrets avoidable? And if you were going God's direction, if you had established guardrails in your life, would you maybe not have ended up in the ditch or off the cliff or in some kind of wreckage because you were following God's path for your life? And we, we talked about that in many different areas over the next uh, several weeks. We talked about in friendships. We talked about marriage. Uh, we talked about in the area of finances. We talked actually specifically one week about sexual immorality and God's guardrails that we need to have in our life for that. Um, and as we've been talking through this, it really kind of leads us to this place where I think we have to realize there's more to it than what we've been talking about. Because we've been talking about it in a way that it's all about me, right? It's all about me. It's about my life, the way God wants me to go. And it's all about me living the life and, and being in the safety of God's guardrails. And, and that's all true. And, and it's well and good. And it's intended from the scripture when God gives us these guardrails. But there's something that goes beyond that. And this is going to take us a second just to step back as believers and to think about it. That it's not just about us. It's really about God. You say, well, how can obeying and putting guards, guardrails and parameters in life according to God's word, according to Scripture, how can that actually be something that's about God? And it's because we're called to be holy if you're a follower of God. He calls us a holy people. That we are set apart from the world. That means we, we make different choices than the world would choose. And, and so because of this, we are actually representatives for Christ Jesus. 
And that sometimes we're the only Jesus, we're the only Bible, we're the only Scripture that some people will ever see and experience because they see how we live our lives. And I have a Scripture about this I want to I open with this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5.20, and it says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Think about that for a second. God appealing his salvation through us. We are his ambassadors. We're his representatives. Just like an ambassador for the government goes on behalf of our president and on behalf of our government and our country and goes to make an appeal to another people group, to another country, to a foreign land. So we are Christ's ambassadors going out into the world. And if the world looks at us and says, you are no different. You're really no different. You're not holy. You're not set apart. You're not different from the world. If they see no guardrails in our life, they see us make the same patterns of, of behavior as the world has, then there's just no difference. And they say, well, what's different about you? Well, why, why should I believe in your God? <laughs> why, why should I even believe in Jesus? And so you see, it's not really just about us. It's really about God. Because remember, those guardrails, they not only protect us, but they also direct our lives. And people are watching us. And people want to see how we're going to live. Daniel chapter 1, kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. And as always, you're welcome to follow along in the app. I, I love our app. It's got all the scripture and the sermon notes there for you. But as we get into this this morning, I want to give you just a little bit of, of a background so you understand where we're coming from. As we read about this young man named Daniel. It's 605 B.C. And a king from Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar has come to Jerusalem and has laid siege to it. We're going to read it in just a minute. And as he's taking it over, he comes up with this idea that, okay, we're, we're going to you know, destroy Israel or destroy their culture and destroy the city of Jerusalem. But what I want to do is I want to take their best, the brightest, um, you know, the, the ones that look the best, the ones that seem the sharpest. I want to take their best people. I'm going to bring them over, and we're going to put them through a process where they're going to become like us. And they're going to leave their big G God, and they're going to start worshiping our little G gods, our idols. And, and so we're going to put them through this process. Now, this has happened before in history. If you, any of you history buffs are out there, you've probably heard of a, of a word called Hellenization. Hellenization was the process of people adopting the Greek culture. Was this process, you know, Alexander the Great. And, and so they would go into a country, and then they would make that country become like them. And so it was this, this process, and that's how they were going to overtake the world, was we're going to give them our language, we're going to give them our beliefs, we're going to give them our little idols and gods, and we're going to get them to think like, like, like uh, someone who's Greek, we're going to get them to act like someone who's Greek, we're going to get them to like our food and everything, we're just going to convert their whole way of life. And that's what the game plan was. Now let's open up and read it directly from the scripture, Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Judah is, you know, Israel, God's chosen people, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, notice there, little g-god, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his little g-god. It's not a good thing. We're talking the temple of God here. And some of those things are being brought and offered to a little g-god. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, who was his chief eunuch, 
to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful and all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were to be educated for three years. That's how long this process was going to take. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And among these, these young Jewish boys, were these four. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. These are their new Babylonian names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. And Azariah became Abednego. Now, if you've been around church for any length of time, and maybe you grew up and listened to your Sunday school teachers, been to church camp, those names might be familiar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do we know about those guys? Oh, yeah, they're the ones that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a fiery furnace to die. But they didn't die. The people that actually threw them in kind of melted to death, but those guys stood in the fiery furnace because God was with them. Now, you're going to find out that the reason that that was possible is because they obeyed Almighty God, and they made a choice with Daniel here early in life that We're going to go God's way in every area of life. No compromise. No compromise. Now look what happens in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So let's pause there for a minute. He has gone to the chief that is over this process, and he's asked him. He said, now now wait a minute here. Uh, I don't want to eat the king's food, and I don't want to drink the king's wine, and so I would like to have a separate diet. Now you may say, why are you hanging yourself out on what you're eating here? I mean, you know, come on, kiddo, right? Is this the smartest thing in the world? You know, I mean, you're making a big deal about the food. You've just been taken over. You've been shipped out of Jerusalem all the way back to to Babylon. You're in this process. Is this the best timing? Is this the best way? And yet he said, he's putting a thing down. And look what he says there, the words he used. He says that Daniel resolved himself that he would not defile himself. Now, something you have to understand is this just wasn't about his food preferences. You see, the food that he was going to eat that was coming from the king's court, that food most likely had been offered to idols. And so when you partook and you took in that food, it was like you were giving your seal of approval, your stamp of approval, that this had been offered to these little G-gods, these idols, and that it went against your belief in your big G-god, the Lord and Master of the universe and the God of the Israelites. And so right there at the very beginning is, but there may have been something else, too, that this food wasn't prepared. You see, we'd, we just got out of the early part of the Old Testament. We're getting into the book of Daniel. And there have been all of these laws that have been given to the Israelites on how to prepare their food. And they were to obey God in these, in these ways and to prepare the food a certain way. And so probably the Babylonians were not preparing the food or were serving food amongst the, the king's court that would actually go against Jewish law. And again, Daniel said, to me, it feels like I'm defiling myself. If I give in here, 
And so he decides, no compromise. Now, he makes a wise appeal. He doesn't demand his way. He's not trying to stir up controversy. I mean, he's obviously a captive here, but he's wise. He goes to the one that's over him, and he makes this appeal, and look what happens in verse 9. Okay, he set a guardrail down. Will not defile myself. Will not eat of this food. Will not drink of this wine. And in verse 9 it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. How many people in here would like God's favor? Anybody in here would like the favor of the almighty God of the universe? Yeah, everybody hand, hand up. Well, he got favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? In other words, if I don't feed you the king's food, you're going to look like you're in a horrible condition. And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he said this, test your servants for ten days. Ten day test. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed to you. And deal with your servants according to to what you see. So he's laid down the suggestion. I know you don't want to tick the king off. I don't really want to get you in trouble. So why don't we just try this? You let us eat our diet for 10 days. You keep the other guys on the king's diet. At the end of 10 days, you look at us and you just, just see in our appearances. Make a judgment call, call there and then you can go forward with that. Verse 14. And so that eunuch, the head of the chief of the eunuchs, he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were... Better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all of the youths who had ate the king's food. So, verse 16, the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, this was probably not popular amongst the rest of the Jewish boys that were there. Because these four, I mean, you know, they're, they're eating the fatted calf. They're eating all the good stuff. I mean, eating with the king is probably a, a, a really good deal, you know. And now it's like now, because these guys look better because of this 10-day 10 10 day exhibit that's happened. Okay, now you guys are going to eat vegetables and you're going to drink water, just like the rest of them. So I'm sure this kind of puts some tension there with some of the other guys. What's God going to do here? Let's look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all vision and dreams. And if you know Daniel's story later, his, his knowledge and vision and dreams is going to come in really handy in a chapter or two. At the end of that time, so the end of the three years, the three years have gone by now. At the end of that time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like, guess who? Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them one time better, double as much, no, five times, no. He found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom, and all the adults that had been working in his kingdom and in his court. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. It's amazing. He puts down a guardrail. Standard of behavior God's given him becomes a matter of conviction in his life. And he says, once and for all, 
This is where it stops for me. I will not eat of that food. I will not drink of that wine. I will make a wise appeal about this, but I believe that when Daniel said, that's it for me, once and for all, this is where the guardrail is, he intended to stay there no matter what. If you read the rest of his life story, if you read about fiery furnaces and lion's dens, you do realize that Daniel, his guardrail never moved. He set it down and he said, this is the way God wants me to go and this is the way I'm going to choose to go in life. It really gets us thinking about this question. Why? Why was that such a big deal? It was a matter of conviction in his heart and in his life. And here's something that I think Daniel knew that we don't think about that sometimes. We would maybe get in that situation, in that circumstance, and have a lot of fear. We're captives in a foreign land. We don't know these people. You know, they may just be like, cut off their heads. We're done. We don't know what's going to happen. But he had that matter of conviction in his life. He said, there's no way I'm veering. There's no way I'm going to follow any other path except the one that God has for me. My guardrail is here, and there's no compromise. Because here's the deal. You see, the devil, part of his game plan is to get us to compromise. And the way that often happens is not just, you know, run off the cliff and into the ditch and over the ledge. No, a lot of times it's just baby steps, just, just little pieces, you know. If we just compromise just a little bit, just eat of the food, drink of the wine, just a little bit. Okay, go to the worship services for those gods. You don't have to believe in those gods. You still believe in the God, but, you know, we're just going to do, just, just, just believe in those gods or believe in our God and let them, you know, but we're going to participate in their worship and then, yeah, we're going to sing their songs of praise and in their culture and, and, and yeah, we're going to read their texts. We're going to become like them and maybe over the course of three years some, some things could change. Some things could get broken down. But Daniel and his friends said, you know what? No compromise. We know what God has shown us and we know that we need to walk in it. Here's the truth of that this morning. Compromise does not Erase the struggle. It doesn't eliminate the struggle. It only weakens our resolve. When you compromise, it doesn't erase the struggle because I know it's a struggle out there. I know that the devil is tempting you and you have these thoughts and justification in your mind. Well, you know, if I just don't go God's way, let's, let's just throw out an area. Let's say finances. Okay, I know God wants me to honor him with a tithe, but I'm choosing not to. I'm going to keep it all 100% for myself. I'm going to share nothing with the Lord in his house. I'm, not, I'm just going to throw Malachi 3 out the window. I'm not going to read that section of Scripture. I'm going to black it out in my Bible. I'm just going to go my own way. What does that lead to in the end? You've compromised already. You know the direction, the path which God has laid for you to go. But you've said, oh, wait, my way is better than the God of the universe. And when you compromise, it weakens that resolve. It weakens that decision that you made. You, you said, wait, I'm going to give God my whole heart. I'm going to give my whole life. I'm going to follow him all of my days. I'm going to make a decision for Christ. I, I'm even going to be in, in the watery grave of baptism that we witnessed with two earlier. And yet, we start to compromise. And there's this tension there, isn't there? You feel it. Because... The world says, ah, it's okay. We don't even need 100% of you. If you'll just give us a little bit. One foot in the world. You can act like that at work. You can act like that at school. Don't say that at church. But as long as you, you, you compartmentalize your life, okay? You get, what I'm, you get what I'm getting at here? Just compartmentalize your life. Yeah, you don't talk like that 
at church. You know, don't talk about about mom and dad because they're going to come down. But go to school, go to work, go out, go out to the field of play and talk like however you want. Don't tell those kind of jokes around the house. Don't tell those kind of jokes around church. But, oh, when you get out of church, oh, yeah, you can tell the coarsest, dirtiest jokes you want to. And we say, well, it's just a little compromise. It's just a baby step in the wrong direction. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. First service, this was a lot more than I had expected. So by show of hands this morning, I'm wondering, how many of you have ever heard of or watched a movie? This would have been late 80s, early 90s, called What About Bob? Anybody heard of, seen what about Bob? Okay, several of you, and many of you not. So let me tell you about What About Bob. What About Bob is a movie about a guy who had OCD really, really bad. He had OCD on his OCD. If you don't know what that is, it's obsessive compulsive disorder. To the point, he, like in the movie, he has a hanky that he carries around with him everywhere, and he can't touch anything in this earth without the hanky because he might get germs. So he's a germaphobe, okay, scared of germs. And so he's got his hanky, and he's like using that to do door handles. And I mean, it's like, you know, really serious for him it's you know the, the the movie is a comedy it's considered humorous but you know it's serious for him so what does he do he's got to go see this psychiatrist and this psychiatrist guy he goes to see is this well-known doctor so-and-so you know may as well be like sigmund freud or something you know he's like hey and he's written this book called baby steps and so bob comes in to see him for a couple times and he's like bob i have something that'll help you it's going to change your life you can't quit doing the hanky thing and doing all these obsessive compulsive things that you're doing all the time. I know you just can't just automatically go like that and have it be done. So I've written this book, and he gives him the book. It's called Baby Steps. And Bob's like, Baby Steps? He's like, yeah, let me explain, okay? It's like you just do it in little incremental parts, just like a baby does. The baby doesn't get up and run. The baby's what? It toddles a little bit and then starts taking steps, but they're small steps. And if you do these small steps, you'll one day look back and go, wow, I've gone a big step. And Bob just, oh, he's so excited. He's going to try it right there in the office. So he grabs the book and he holds it close to his chest. And, and he has fear of elevators, fear of rooms with no window. I mean, he's got all these fears, you know, and his OCD's taking over and he's like, baby steps out of the office. And he just shows him, you know, and then he gets to the elevator, and he's like, oh, I hate elevators, and I can't get on there. He's like, okay, baby steps, baby, baby steps onto the elevator. And he just he starts this baby steps thing. And what you find out, and he goes back to the psychiatrist in a couple weeks, and he's like, oh, this is great, baby steps, really working for me. You know, and I'm baby stepping this, baby stepping that. And anyway, I won't give away the rest of the movie, but it's really funny. But anyway, but, you know, that same concept really works in reverse. That's baby steps toward a good thing, Right? That's baby steps toward a good end in mind. But I think it's the same way with compromise in a believer's life. Just baby steps. The devil says, I want all of you, <laughs> and I'll probably get all of you. You'll just start with little baby steps. So the baby steps today is going to be we're going to choose to bump up against this guardrail in life. We actually just won't set this guardrail down. Just make it like a yellow line. It could be a reminder there might be a lot of fun on the other side of the line. And yet we find ourselves moving baby steps away from God and toward the things of this world. And as Christ's ambassadors, did we read that earlier? As representatives, and think about, think about the predicament that Daniel and his friends are in. They represent Israel, God's chosen people people and not only Israel but the tribe of Judah one of the main clans in Israel and yet these Jewish boys 
And did you see how many times in Scripture it calls them young people, young men? A lot of scholars believe somewhere between 14 and 19 years old. They put down their boundary and they say, you know what, guardrail. I will not compromise because, and listen to this, Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story would end. He made up his mind. He didn't know how the story was going to end. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. He didn't know what what the Babylonians were going to do to retaliate against his request. He didn't know how it was going to end up. There was no prophecy there to say, oh yeah, you're going to be fine. It was really real. The struggle was real. Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story would end. But here's the second thing. Daniel made up his mind because he knew how the story would end if he didn't. If he didn't have that guardrail there to bump up against, if he didn't have that hard set place in his life, he knew how it would end. It would be a series of compromises. So you turn your back on your God because you're worshiping the little g-gods of the Babylonians. And you see, this is our challenge in life. That's our challenge in life. Deciding before. Deciding before we know the exact outcomes. And trusting God's way. Trusting God's direction. His protection through it all. That's the challenge. But I want you to notice what happens after the resolve. What does it say there in verse 8? But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself and eat of the king's food, and drink of his wine. He said, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And then look what it says in verse 9. God gave Daniel favor and compassion. You see, there's resolve, and resolve is followed by God's favor and compassion. When you go God's way in life, when you establish his standards of behavior as matters of conviction in your life, and you put down guardrails, and you go his direction in life, God's favor is on you. God's favor. It's just like, I mean, think about this, parents. Do you love it when your kid obeys? Isn't it wonderful when you say, honey, I want you to not hit your sister anymore, and I want you to take out the trash. And isn't it wonderful when they don't hit their sister anymore and they take out the trash every week without being told, what do you want to do? As a parent, what do you want to do? You want to give them money, don't you? You're just like, I got to pay this kid. Allowance, whatever you want to call it, you know, gratuity. It's like, this is awesome. What do you want to do? You want to reward it, right? Because why? Because what's rewarded is repeated, right? I think it's the same way with God. When we please God and we obey Him and we go His direction, we put these guardrails in our life and we're moving His direction, He says, Hey, I'm so proud of you. I'm glad you've put me first and best and most and highest in your life. And I'm glad you're using my wisdom and my standards of behavior to guard and protect your life and your heart. And we live in this blessing that the Scripture says is God's favor. Yet how many of us, if we're being honest this morning, man, I'm not in in God's favor. Why? Because you're not honoring Him with what? Whatever area of life it is, right? Because chances are, some of us try to honor him in certain areas, but we don't honor him in others. And we need to resolve ourselves and understand that God's favor and compassion is going to come after that. Now let's look at the very end of the story here in verse 17. Again, as these four youths, and look what God gave them, learning, 
skill in all literature, wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all vision and dreams. He's going to interpret some dreams for King Nebuchadnezzar in just a little bit. And look in verse 19, the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like those four Jewish boys. And therefore, it says they stood. They didn't have to kneel, they didn't have to fall down on their faces. It says they stood before the king because they were going to be a part of the king's court. And look what it says in verse 20. It says he found them to be ten times better than everyone else. These four men, young men, had knowledge and understanding from on high because they took what God had spoken to them and they put it into practice. And they went God's direction in life. And they were blessed for it. And it's amazing how Scripture touts and says, hey, there's no one like these guys. You think that was by chance? No, I think it's exactly what the Scripture says. That when he asked for that different diet, and he said he resolved himself that he would not defile himself, God gave Daniel favor and compassion from his captors that led to a life of influence in a foreign land. Now, here's the application this morning. Three quick points, and we've already talked about them. Number one is this. Like Daniel, we need to make up our minds before we know how the stories will end. Because we know how the stories will end if we don't. So you don't wait till, oh man, now I'm in the ditch and I rolled my life seven times. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm injured. Now I'm going off the cliff. It's almost too late. Get on the road, establish those guardrails, and do it before. Make a choice today, not when you get in the circumstance. The second thing, refusing to establish guardrails, which is I would call compromising if you're a Christian, refusing to establish guardrails will not erase the struggle or the tension that you feel in life. The temptation tension will still be there. It only weakens your resolve. It only makes it that much easier to pull away from God and that much closer to being in the way of the world. And the last thing for us this morning is this. God will use these decisions that you make to protect and direct your life. And many times it will lead you to a season of walking in God's favor. And I imagine that most of you would like to be in that season. You'd like to be in a season where you have the favor of the Lord. Because you're actually going His way. But so many of us are in that struggle, aren't we? That struggle with sin that so easily entangles us. We're, we're with the adversary, the devil. The Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking who he will devour. And some of us feel like, yeah, he's devoured me. But there's hope if we choose God. Let me share another verse of Scripture this morning. Proverbs 11.3. And this is read from the NIV. Proverbs 11.3 says this. The integrity of the upright guides them. Where does that integrity come from? It comes from the Lord. The integrity, that choice to go the way of the Lord, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful 
are destroyed by their duplicity. They are destroyed by their duplicity. They're destroyed because they're trying to walk in two worlds. They're trying to walk the fence. One foot in the world, one foot doing whatever I want and going the way of the world, and the other foot going God's way. And we all come to this point in life where it seems like the road forks. For a while, we could go meander. We could still be, we still be with God. And we still, but then, at some point in life, you get to make the choice. God leaves it up to you. He doesn't force you to love Him. He just sacrifices His Son for you. But He's not going to force you to choose His way. He's not going to force you to love Him. And you come to the fork in the road, and the fork in the road begs this question of every human before they die. Who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Which way are you going to go in life? Do you choose God's way? How do you stay on God's way? Because Jesus even talks about that. He says, wide is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many find it. And many enter it and go down that path in life. But then he says, narrow is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to life. And there's only a few that find it. And if you're on a more narrow road, like in Colorado with a cliff to the left, it's a tight, windy little road. It's almost like a one-and-a-half lane road where someone's going to have to stop if we meet oncoming traffic. Thinking all the more the narrow path needs guardrails. God's standards. Matters of conviction in our hearts. And this morning, I'm going to leave you with that question. Who do you trust? Who are you going to serve? And let the example ring true that there were four Jewish young people that made a choice to follow God's way. And it went well with them all of the days of their life. Let's pray. God, we come to this time of invitation this morning. God, as we sing songs and and declare that you are always there for us, that you love us, God. God, for some of us, this this guardrails thing, we, we were like, wow. This is great, great series. I wish I'd heard this 30 years ago. But God, remind us it's never too late. Grace and forgiveness are there, and we can choose today to establish guardrails. We can choose today to move your direction in life, to actually obey the Scripture, to actually do what it says, to not just merely hear it, but to actually put it into practice. It's never too late. And Lord, I imagine that that for many of us here that would say, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I, I want to give my heart, my life to Him, or I have done that in the past, that God, maybe we've struggled We've struggled with the meandering. We've struggled with going over. And Lord, we just need to today, once and for all, say we are going your way in life. And God, I know there are some here that have never fully given themselves to you. They've never made that decision. They've never said, you know what? Once and for all, I serve the king. Once and for all, I'm going God's way. Once and for all, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was raised from the dead and I can be raised to walk in newness of life and I need to accept that forgiveness. God, as we sing this song, just pray your spirit continue to move in our hearts and minds this morning.
God, lead us to a decision that becomes, that becomes a matter of conviction in our hearts and minds that we would always choose to honor you. And God, may we not do it because it's what we ought to do. May we do it because we love you, because of how you loved us through sending Jesus to be a sacrifice for our sins. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.